Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Dr. Ted Morton here speaking um, about the risks and benefits for Albertans of in-province bitumen processing. And so the topic is set called Refine It, Where You Mine It, Value Added or Risky Business. So that is next week, September 24th. Um, as well, um, there is a suggestion box placed in the lobby for ideas and comments for future events. Um, upcoming sessions are listed on SACPA's website, www.sacpa.ca, and this session and past sessions can be heard in audio and as a podcast from that website. Um, once again, we are going to have Andrew come and answer questions, uh, for you today, but I just want to make a special uh, note of Jessica Ernst as well. I'm just going to read this for you. After energy giant Akana fracked numerous gas wells around her home and her well water turned into a flammable broth, Jessica Ernst started asking questions. When she put forward evidence that Encana had violated policies by fracturing her community's drinking water aquifier, Ernst was falsely tagged as a terrorist and visited by the government's anti-terrorism squad. Frightened but unindated, she uncovered an apparent history of liability, fraud, and intimidation, along with willful denial of widespread groundwater or contamination. Her remarkable story raises legitimate questions about big oil's influence on Alberta energy sector, AER, and I just want to take this moment to have you welcome her as well. Thank you, Andrew and Jessica. As they come up, I will just have uh, announce a few things about. Oh yeah, as they come up, I'll announce a few things about the process of asking questions. So, if you can um, state your name, keep your comments brief, and limit yourselves to one or two topical questions um, using the microphone provided right there. Um, and I just actually have been reminded to let you know that the Federal Election Forum, the SACPA Federal Electric Forum, is Tuesday, September 22nd, 2015, at 7 to 9 p.m., and it will be held at the Lethbridge Senior Citizens Organization Gym Number 2. So please come out, and you can get a real good grasp of what your federal candidates have to say on issues that are important to you. To you. I'm Bev, I'm Bev Mendel-Atherstone, and I want to thank you both for being here. In my books, Jessica, you are a heroine. You are just an absolute hero. Thank you, Beth. And uh, Andrew, the same goes for you for being able to put together these books and tell exactly what's happening so that more people can know. Thank you. My question is in regard to health, and it is in particular in regard to the methane and the other gases being given off <clears throat> um, into the air, as, as well, of course, as into the water. When I was a kid um, in the 50s, the, the cancer rates were 1 in 23, approximately. Now in Alberta, 
the cancer rates are one in one. They will say that every single one of us will get cancer by the time be, before we die if we, if we live that long. So I'm just wondering about this, these uh, great air masses of methane over the middle of the U.S. One, do we have that, two, over the middle of Alberta where you showed all the fracking? And two, um, what do you know if there's information to indicate that the poisoning of our of our air, never mind the water, but the poison of our air actually contributes to our cancer rates. Thank you. Okay, Bev, good question. In answer to the first question, do, does Alberta have a methane anomaly in the atmosphere over uh, any of our active oil and gas fields that are where there a great deal of fracking has taken place? Um, <clears throat> I think the accurate answer to that question is we really don't know because we're not doing the atmospheric modeling at that level to know if we have that, that kind of leakage problem. Um, so we don't know. Um, I, I once had a, a good friend of mine describe Alberta as an orange. And if you can imagine that orange then having 400, 500,000 pin pricks and each time you prick that orange you can you can smell the hydrocarbons from the rind of that orange um, and 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 so Alberta is a place where we are all breathing hydrocarbons of one kind or another um, there are lots of, of health issues related <clears throat> most particular to living downwind of heavy fracking operations uh, where you have more than a thousand different chemicals uh, being put in the air or not being properly burned, um, moving downwind. And, and to me, that's a huge health issue, um, not just related to asthma in the province because there's a strong correlation between active flaring and asthma in Alberta. But I imagine if you were to take it further and, and start to look at some cancer clusters, you might find other associations. Jess, do you? To quickly add to that, methane itself has not really been studied as to how harmful it is to breathe. But other things can attach to methane, like methylmercury, which is deadly. Radon apparently is being released when they're doing these fracks. A lot of the chemicals used in the industry, we don't know what they are. The oil, the oil and gas industry has basically silenced our health agencies and researchers in this country, so nobody's counting or looking, and I think they'll only start looking when it's far too late and the statistics are in. In the States, there have been, uh, a few years ago, there were only a handful of peer-reviewed papers on the health harms as well as pollution to water and air from fracking. Now, we can't even keep, I can't keep up to them anymore. There are over, last I counted, over 550 peer-reviewed papers, most of them showing serious harm. We don't have that happening in Canada because nobody's looking. I, I just want to add one point. In Australia, where they are actively fracking uh, coal basins um, and where citizens have responded to this industrial invasion with one of the largest civil protest movements ever in the history of, of Australia called Lock the Gate, um, it is not an environmental movement. It is an agricultural movement to protect groundwater and rural communities. <clears throat> the, 
Now, what, what they've found in some areas where they are fracking, and a couple of, of scientists from Southern Cross University found this, that, um, and they, were, they compared areas that had not been fracked to areas that had been fracked, and they were measuring the concentrations of certain gases in the air. They found in the fracked regions uh, levels of methane, CO2, and radon were three times higher than in areas that had not been fracked. What's interesting is that radon is a gas that is used by scientists as a measure of earthquake, uh, of, of coming earthquake activity. So when radon levels begin to spike in a place like Japan, the seismologists then have an inkling that a major earthquake is about to occur because the, the vibrations have already begun on the earth, which has led to gas migration um, to the surface. Now, Alberta is one of the most drilled landscapes um, in North America, and we have extraordinary levels of radon all over the place. They are not being properly uh, monitored um, uh, across the province. I have to add one more thing. Sorry, sir. The, one of the interesting things about the fracking to think about, and I didn't come up with this idea, was the mayor of Fox Creek. He raised the concern to the regulator, what happens, they're having serious earthquakes up there and there's a lot of sour gas. And they have a sour gas pipeline going through the community. What if an earthquake ruptures a sour gas pipeline and that earthquake is caused by fracking? It might not have been the fracking releasing the sour gas, but the sour gas could kill the entire town. Methane's an asphyxiant. What if we get to the point where we release enough methane in a valley like at Rosebud? You, you guys are high up here, and you have lots of wind to blow the methane away. We don't have that at Rosebud, although it can be windy. What if a community wakes up one day or doesn't wake up because they've been asphyxiated? My name is Henning Mundell, and uh, like my wife, I want to say how much I respect both of you. It's just incredible to have both of you here at one time. My question will go from the scientific and technological to the perhaps political, but to use sort of the idiom that you're talking about, the methane winds, well, we all know that in Alberta we've had a fresh wind blow since May. So I have twofold question to you, Jessica. Since the change of government, have you... Um, uh, no, to, uh, first, hypothesis, if a the NDP government would have been in when you started, where do you think you would be now? And hypothesis. And two, have you um, made approaches to the government, the Lethbridge East MLA, Maria Fitzpatrick is right here in the room. Uh, I thought I should uh, find that out. Mr. Mundell, those are my kind of thinkings. I love thinking like that. Thank you very much. Excellent. Well, a little imagination with a little bit of science and a little bit of politics. It's pretty good. Let's see. Before, if the NDP government had been in power, let's say in 2001 when the experiments began, would anything be different? No disrespect to any NDP or Green Party or Liberal or any politician. I don't believe it would be any different because the companies did this in secret. They didn't tell anybody. And then when I, when I began speaking out, of course, 
they right away judged me a, a terrorist and a threat so that Albertans wouldn't listen to me because Albertans were starting to listen because they were getting worried by what they were seeing on their own farms. After I started speaking out, I don't know. I don't know if a different government would have respected the science I gathered or listened to my concerns. I gave a lot of my time and energy to the Tory government and gave them all kinds of mitigation plans of how to deal with the problem at Rosebud, one of which was telling Canna they broke the law, charged them, pipe, have the company pipeline safe water, and you don't even have to tell the community. Nobody would ever know, but nobody would be in the risk of blowing up the way Bruce Jack did. The Rosebud water tower blew up in an explosion seriously injuring our water manager after Encana released the methane into our aquifers. The Tory government never wanted to know anything. They just kept covering it up. Will things change now? And have I approached the government? I think, well, I'll ask you. I'm suing the government. Unfortunately, the NDP has inherited my lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, right. So... If you were suing the new government, because just because they're new doesn't mean that my lawsuit gets thrown out against the government, what would you do? Would you approach them? You would. And what would you say? Nice and loud now. Fire the regulator. Fire the regulator. <laughs> do some health studies. Stop fracking, right? Let's stop this. Or, or wait, let's go back a little bit. Stop the billions in subsidies we're giving this industry. Do you know that? We are paying a lot of money per linear meter for the companies to, fr to drill unconventionals. That needs to be stopped. And then Albertans need to be consulted and warned of what it will be like to live with less fossil fuels. What do we have to change? Let's get the subsidies into rooftop solar for everybody. Small plans of energy production for every community across the province. I, now back to your question, I'm kind of, I'm being political so I'm diver diverting your question. <laughs> I believe my lawsuit is speaking loud and clear to every single politician in this country, corrupt and not corrupt. My phone number is easy to get on the internet. My contact button's on the lawsuit page or on the, my, my website for the lawsuit. Any politician can email me or phone me and say, how do we fix this mess, Jess? That's what my career was. And I love fixing things. So thank you. Great question. My name is Rena Wass. And thank you so much, Jessica and Andrew, for uh, t coming to Lethbridge and for writing your important book and for Jessica being our voice. I mean, you're an ordinary person coming before the Supreme Court in January. Um, we need to get behind you. And I just want to announce to everyone that uh, your local environment group, Green Sense Environmental, has started a fundraiser for Jessica. So check our website, uh, www.greensense.ca, for information, and pick up one of these or many cards and pass them out to your friends and colleagues. Um, a couple of things. Um, you mentioned that you've been 
called in, well, or uh, painted as an eco-terrorist. I find it ironic that they should, um, the oil and gas industry, um, it calls people that try to protect water, air, soil, uh, try to make us... Sorry, we just need a question. From okay. You. Thanks. Um, well, I'll get to that in one sec, that we are eco-terrorists or aggressive, and yet it's through the aggression of this industry. In less than 200 years, our planet has almost been destroyed. So I commend you for your work. I understand that you're going to be before the Supreme Court and that already at the last minute the Harper government is meddling in your case, has put in um, an intervention, I believe. Can you um, tell us more about that and what can we do uh, to mitigate that? Thank you. Excellent question. Thank you, Rena, for the fundraising. Uh, to, for a little teaser in the book, I don't know if I'll get punished for this, but there's a sentence in there that's greatly embarrassing to me about my socks and underwear. And it's very embarrassing. I said to Andrew, you're telling these people everything about me. Do they have to know about my socks and underwear too? Yeah, you're all looking shocked. Well, paying for this lawsuit, you, don't, you can't buy stuff like socks and underwear anymore. You can't. You can't. You can't spend money on anything. Everything goes to the lawyers. Court costs, photo photocopying bills, and I get these lovely, Rena has been, uh, thank you, Rena, for the fundraising efforts. It's, it's not even the money that is so miraculous with what Rena and others have done. It's the support. And I get these lovely little cards that say, no, this money can't go to lawyers, and you can't spend it on any court fees and no research. This is incidentals for Ernst. So off I go and get socks and underwear. And sometimes they say only for dog treats. It, it's very tough to do this. The lawsuit at the Supreme Court now is just against the energy regulator. I believe they are the most guilty party. And when you, when you have, what they did is when they sort of named me a terrorist, they infringed on my charter rights by also ceasing any communication and judging my correspondence, my freedom of expression, as criminal. But they never sent the police until two years, uh, what, four years later. They didn't fingerprint me. They didn't put me in jail. They just deemed me a, you know, a security threat and then refused to have anything to do with me. I believe that was to intimidate me into silence so that I wouldn't find out what they had done to our aquifers. This is a, the major part of my lawsuit. It's a constitutional matter. The regulator not only allowed this cover-up, but they violated my charter rights to try to scare me into silence. Albertans don't understand how important our charter rights are to us. They are the only thing that protect us from a corrupt regulator, government agency, government. So when you have a constitutional matter before the Supreme Court, every attorney general across the country automatically gets the right to file notice to intervene. And lo and behold, I always thought this would happen for sure, Mr. Harper's Attorney General has filed notice to intervene. The Saskatchewan government did, British Columbia, and Quebec. Of those, I think the only one that will file in support of my case and in support of all Canadians' charter rights will be the Quebec government. I could be wrong, but I do believe BC, Saskatchewan, and Harper will, will, will file against me. They don't have to tell me until December 23rd which side they're going to go. What can, can people do anything to mitigate? You can write letters. 
You can write letters to your editors, to your newspapers, saying what an atrocity this is, that the Harper government is intervening in such an important case on water and our rights. You can write your politicians. You can, as a community, you can discuss possibly filing in intervention in support of my case, where you ha we just filed our factum on Friday, so a week ago. You have two months to file a letter or, or to file an intervention to the Supreme Court. Now, there, it's not that simple, but if people are interested in doing that as a community or as a group, you can contact me via the, the legal case contact button. But use your imaginations. There's all kinds of things people can do. You can talk to your friends and neighbors about what's happening. You can ask your friends and neighbors who love Harper and say, do you know what he's doing? I mean, do you agree that he should have the right to intervene in a citizen's case like this where her water's contaminated and the regulator violated her charter rights? And when you think of my lawsuit or talk about it, I would never do this case for me or my water well, never. It's way too impossible in Canada's legal system. This is your case too. Your water, your rights, water moves. If we lose this, if we lose these rights, they will take more and more and more away because they cannot frack a healthy community and they cannot frack a united one like Lethbridge is and they also can't frack us when we have rights. They have to get rid of them to frack us all. The, the whole story about how Jess, Jessica got, got branded as, uh, as a security threat by the regulator is, is extraordinary and appalling. Um, and it's a good example of modern-day fascism. Um, and there, there's a scene in the book where after being banished for six months, now you've got a, the context here is that Jessica Ernst, who works for the oil and gas industry, has caught the regulator um, permitting fraudulent noise studies, and she is just beginning to understand the scale of contamination of her water well. And, and so the regulator at this point views her as public enemy number one. And they figure the best way to silence her is to come up with, you know, what, what better way than by calling somebody a terrorist? And, uh, and then with a banishment, you cannot communicate with anyone, with any, any member of the regulator. And, uh, and then over a period of six months, uh, finally, uh, a meeting is arranged with uh, uh, their, their chief uh, counsel and lawyer. And David Swan, the liberal MA, uh, MLA from Calgary, is kind of ends up serving as the mediator. And uh, Jess, Jessica goes to this meeting full of trepidation. She doesn't know what's going to come of it. Um, uh, she invited two journalists, but the regulator said, no, the journalists can, cannot come, cannot attend. And, and then this, this incredible conversation, which she caught on tape. She had the wherewithal to tape it all. And, it, and, and this whole story, again, is in the, in the book, unfolds. And with the lawyer um, uh, really trying to conduct an interrogation at, over this next hour, um, but in the end, and, and Jessica was absolutely brilliant um, throughout it all, in the end, what, what it came down to, the regulator admitted that they had branded her a security threat 
because they felt she had humiliated them in public. <laughs> now, if that isn't a breach of, uh, of an individual's charter rights in this country, I don't know what is. When you have one of the world's uh, most powerful regulators falsely and fraudulently uh, t t telling a citizen, you're a security threat, we're not going to deal with you, that is fascism. And that's really what the Supreme Court will be dealing with in January and February. Okay, uh, your name and your question real quick. We have many of you to get through. My name is Van Christou. I and a lot of people that I know of in this room uh, who have been outraged by what's going on with the fracking that's going on in this province for years now are delighted to have you both here. Um, I will just give you a quick question. Uh, we could talk for a long time about what's going on. Um, it was a, I was going to talk about a recent meeting I had, a casual meeting that I had with a lady working for a radon company up in the pass who told me of the number of schools that they're having to test now that are filled with radon throughout the whole eastern slopes of the Rockies, right, right up to Calgary. But anyway, uh, I just wanted to mention radon as, uh, as an addition to the, to the methane, and I sh I'm sure you don't need any additional things that way. But the question I would like to ask, uh, to be brief, is, is there any more information about what these companies are putting into their fracking than we, ha than we have had in the past? Is there any recent information? Because I understand that they don't have to release. They can put any chemicals they want into that, in, into that fracking and not report them. Is that still the case? Yes, it still is the case, and we have um, the Canadian Environmental Protection Act in Canada that was um, brought in in 1999. I went to Parliamentary Committee in 2007 to beg the government to implement this act, because with this act, they can demand that the oil and gas industry disclose all their chemicals. It's not just the fracking chemicals, it's the drilling, drilling additives, the cementing additives, the servicing. No, we don't know, and that's one of the big problems. That's why we can't study the health impacts. That's one reason why we can't do proper baseline testing of water wells. And when water wells go bad, we can't properly investigate them because how do you know what to test for when you don't know what's been injected? There's more information coming out about the, number, the, the different chemicals that are being used, but the disclosure in Canada is, is terribly lame. They are exempt from the chemical registry federally in Canada, completely exempt. They don't have to tell. In my case, I've been trying to find out the chemicals that Encana injected intentionally and directly into Rosebud's drinking water aquifers. They did that in 2004. I've been working relentlessly to try to get that information. I can't even get that information in my lawsuit and Canada had to file all that information with me in December. Deadline for them was December 19th last year. They didn't file it. And under the court rules, they have to. You're not even allowed in our court rules to keep trade secrets. And I can't even get it. So it's a, it's a terrible problem. I believe the reason they're not disclosing it and the regulators aren't making them is because that's how they get away with all the pollution. If you're breathing the air, 
the fracking fluids that are injected, when they, some of the fluids come back up, then they flare or incinerate or vent directly. So we're breathing those frac chemicals. The drilling additives in their waste, they're spreading it on our grasslands, even our, our crown lands, on our private farmlands, our food land. When the wind dries these products, they blow in the wind so that we breathe them, we're eating them, and we're drinking them. Very serious problem. Um, Alberta is one of the few jurisdictions in the world that allows industry to frack with petroleum distillates, diesel fuel, um, or 100% hydrocarbons. And a lot of the, the frack jobs now taking place along the eastern slopes, particularly in the cardium formation, which is an oil shale, um, in the Cochrane area and, and north of Cochrane, um, uh, industry is, is doing um, frack jobs that, that are using not water, but 100% hydrocarbons. Edward Donuts from Picture Butte. Thank you for your presentation, Andrew. And also want to thank you to remind us that memory loss is not just Alzheimer's, but that it's a marketab marketable commodity in Alberta. <laughs> That's my, lovely. <laughs> my question is, who pays the Alberta regulator Alberta Energy Regulator, and how much are we paying the CEO? Okay. I think, I, I, I can't remember now the budget for the Alberta Energy Regulator, which of course has, has gone through a number of, of changes. We all remember it as the Energy and Utility Board, the Energy Resources Conservation Board, um, and now it's the Alberta Energy Regulator uh, uh, as the result of a number of, of very public scandals. Um, so the regulator in search of an internal new brand name change so that they won't be associated with scandals such as spying on citizens. Um, and uh, the, the, the regular, current regulator, um, as it is now branded, is 100% funded by industry. And that's a change. It used to be around 60-40. And uh, the, uh, the, the chief is uh, a fellow by the name of Gerald Pratty, who is a former vice president of Incana, uh, as well as the energy lobbyist that established the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers. Now, in most jurisdictions, uh, there would have been questions, very simple questions about whether or not you want the fox to really guard the hen house. Is that appropriate for a regulator? We weren't even allowed to raise that question in this province. You know, you're sort of, no, 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 no. I mean, the media was shameful when, when it came to, to that issue. Um, and hopefully uh, the NDP will get around to addressing this very clear conflict of interest uh, with our regulator. And actually, uh, Prati is not the, he's not the chief. He's the chair of the, of the regulator. We do know from Mr. Prati's expense account, which is public, that he loves to have two steaks for dinner. And uh, some of his bills are, are quite big. I think, I might be remembering this wrong, but I think his, his annual salary is 230000 or something like that. And that's to lie to us. That's really good gravy for bamboozling Albertans. And his expense account 
uh, is pretty big. And then I'm, I imagine there's other sort of wonderful little, yeah. Plus, he's still allowed to sit on the boards of companies. Uh, there's one company in particular that he sits on the board of that has plans to frack Eastern Europe and Albania. So. Uh, I'm Trevor Page. And my question is principally for Andrew and actually leads on from your last intervention on the AER. Our new Alberta government has now been in power for three months. Have you seen any movement at all to reduce the power of the regulator? I mean, to bring it down from its position above um, where it has stood that it's not even answerable to God? Is there any movement that you're aware of? Prior to becoming Premier, Rachel Notley uh, made several comments about how inappropriate it is for someone like Prati to, to chair the, the AER. To my knowledge, um, you know, and the government is still a government in learning, um, they they haven't addressed this issue, and I have, I have really no idea what what they plan to do about it. Yeah, the uh, the NDP government has started a conflict of interest. Uh, maybe the MLA here is she gone? I'm right here. Oh, you're right there. Yeah, uh, there's a conflict of interest investigation, or a, a panel is going to look at conflict. I was very excited to see that in this situation for. Uh, Gerard Prati and the AER, this is a very powerful industry. So in, in my day-to-day -day living, I'm very impatient. I want, I want resolution now. I'd love my life back. And then I get really angry and, and annoyed at the new government, no offense, and, and, I'm, and then I rein myself back because I realize good things take time. And to do this conflict of interest study on the AER, they the government's going to have to do it carefully and properly. Otherwise, the industry will sue and threaten to sue. The threats that I've lived with are nasty and unbelievably terrible. I wouldn't want any MLA to live with this or MP. So while I want fast responses and I want to see Prati punted out, as well as Jim Ellis and a whole bunch of other dead weight at the AER and a lot of corruption, in order for the new government to do it right, they are going to need our time and patience and support, ideas. And when you see... Would you step out, outside, please, for a minute? No, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. <laughs> When you see the government do something good, or a town council, like your mayor, your chamber of commerce, I was watching in tears on my, my little computer, watching the live streaming of the meetings here, and your community so unified that Golden Key ran for the hills, screaming, hands amuck in the air, terrified of the citizens of Lethbridge, and they left money behind. So when you see your community any of your MPs or MLAs do something powerful for you or make a step forward, write letters to the editor, thank them publicly, pool your, your allowance money or your underwear money and forgo your underwear for one year and take out an ad. Pay for an ad 
I'm not kidding. Maybe funny. Take out an ad in the local paper because they deserve support too. They reported very well for you. And take out an ad that says, thank you to our new NDP government or thank you to our mayor. All of the people in position of power that are now facing a horrific mess that's been left behind by a lot of corruption, they are human too and they need thank yous and they need support. Uh, Maria Fitzpatrick, MLA for Lethbridge East, and I just want to say thank you very much for being here. Um, I was part of the No Drilling Lethbridge uh, group. I was out at every demonstration, so I think it's pretty clear in Lethbridge where I stand, and uh, I'm part of this government, and uh, we're making change. It is slow, and I thank you for recognizing that. Uh, my colleagues and I have talked about your particular situation. We've talked about oil and gas. And I will make sure that your message here goes to both the Environment Minister and the Energy Minister. Uh, I will certainly, um, I am a, a very vocal uh, supporter. Uh, so your comments, the information you provide, uh, certainly goes forward to my caucus and the government. Thank you for that. And when you bring those messages to your colleagues, remind them that I am one tiny Albertan of many that have been poisoned and have lost their water production and have had their water contaminated. There are ch children bathing in kerosene-laced water. They're drinking it. People's skin's being burned, and people are living in explosive risks in this prosperous province. Last question today. Oh, and quickly, there's been some keys found in the women's bathroom. They're up here by Annalise, if you would like to retrieve them before you leave. Good afternoon. Uh, it is a distinct honor to have people like Andrew and Miss Ernst in the, in the so-called bivouac of, of Alberta, the, uh, the coal mining industry people, okay? Uh, it, it brings on a question, how do you spell oil shills? Since Archie Bunker days, Ralph Klein, to a new, the time of a new government, without sounding a braggart, I, I wrote the Lethbridge Manifesto for the NDP government before the election. And one of the facts was to replace the billion-dollar AER that, that governs the oil and, and gas production of, of Alberta. And uh, I, don't, I, I don't know what's happening. Uh, Ms. Phillips, our president... Your question, please. Our uh, minister has said the manifesto is already in the library. I'm one of, I've been called a radical, too radical. Uh, and uh, I just want to say that I talked to Andrew a few years ago. His namesakes in Alberta, in, in, in Drumheller, were the labor leaders for the, for the right and the truth. It's very seldom we're going to get truth like, like both of you have, have sprayed on us today. 
And I think that uh, this honor should be represented in our local newspapers. And anyway, one little question is that, uh, uh, how long do you think it's going to take to uh, wake up Albertans completely? I, I think Albertans are awakening. And I think the, it, it took a dramatic drop in oil prices to wake up uh, the province. Um, and, but it led to a change in government. And, and I think perhaps this could be the beginning of, uh, of something different for, for Alberta. And, and I think Albertans are eager for different kinds of, of com- conversations and, and new directions. And, uh, but a waking up process takes time. I mean, once you've been asleep for 43 years, um, as, 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 as I think uh, the province has been in many ways, um, it takes a while to, to find yourself again, to find your voice um, to be able to, to, to look people in the eye, to be able to, to express opinions without fear of being said, well, you can't think that way, or you can't raise that question. And this awakening is, is, is you know, again, I, I bring it back to this, because I, I, I've lived and worked in this province so long and have written about the oil and gas industry so long, uh, that, that really we, we live in the church of hydrocarbons. And in this church, if abuse takes place, you're not supposed to talk about it. And the bishop, who is the chief regulator, will, will cover it up and, 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 and money will be passed and confidentiality agreements will be signed. And that's how a cycle of abuse can continue with devastating effect. And, and part of the awakening that is taking part in this, and it, taking place now in Alberta, and I actually thought I, I might not live long enough to see it, um, is questioning that cycle of abuse and ending that cycle altogether. And I, I just want to say I want to want to thank the, the Southern Alberta Council for Public Affairs for for what you guys do and for having the courage to to invite me uh, to come down here and talk when when quite frankly other parts of the province didn't have that courage. And uh, and your civil democratic traditions that you have established here became a very formidable part of the resistance that people like Rena led in defense of the community here against uh, some very abusive uh, forms of fracking that were being proposed. So I want to commend the council and and I also want to let Jessica too have, have the last word. That's quite something. Nickafork doesn't often give away the last word. <laughs> Ooh, hot. It's got hot in here. I read a lot of the articles here in the Lethbridge Herald, as well as many people in Australia, and it's true. The commenting is fantastic here, and I don't know if, if people here have gone to other newspapers and just tracked. I'm a scientist. I tend to keep notes of all kinds of things and copy comments in the beginning, when, when the lawsuit went public in, tw- in 2011, I was being attacked right, left, and center that I was just wanting to get rich fast. And how selfish of me and how greedy of me. 
You don't see people say that anymore. And in the different commenting sections, more and more industry people are gathering their courage and raising questions. Uh, Ched's uh, 6.30 in Edmonton Radio interviewed Andrew on his new book. And what was fantastic about that was some industry people called in to the radio show saying that they have raised concerns about fracking to their management. That's massive courage to go to your management because that would cost you your job. To say so publicly on the radio is absolutely incredible. I think that speaks to the integrity and power of Andrew's writing. And for him to see that at this time in his career, I think is fantastic. As a last thing to say to you about waking Albertans up or are they awake? I think they are. And when you're severely abused which is what this government, the the past Tory government did, the Harper government has been doing, the regulators have been doing, as well as Alberta Environment. Most of the municipal councils here are too terrified to speak out because they get so badly abused. There was a frack resolution that Wheatland County put forward in 2013. I don't know how many of you know this, but all the councils and MDs in Alberta voted on that resolution to stop it and study it. 64... 40 against. That's a wake, that's a, that prov, that's a, an awoken province. In terms of the ordinary people, it's very hard to speak out when you've been abused. It's very hard to ask questions, to say anything, to cause any kind of ripples. What happened to me is one tiny example. I believe there are at least a thousand such banishments of citizens in this province. So if you see someone speak out, instead of attacking them because they didn't do it your way, commend them. Encourage your neighbor. Encourage your, the people you have big differences with. I watch a lot of the arguments on the, the comments at the Lethbridge Herald and think of the power if those arguments became... More, more constructive in terms of, wow, let's stop hating each other and let's start coming up with something towards empowering all the people who are too afraid to speak. This province, the people here have been brutalized by this industry and they don't even know it yet. And it hurts, it really hurts to be trapped in a cycle of abuse where you can't speak.